0: Course, course, yeah. The same way that you started. Okay. So, open high And then, on verses, do I switch to close? Verses, yeah, switch to close. Just feel it, bro. Just yeah, feel yeah, it. yeah. Music is about the feel. good,
1: man. Yeah. Let's get I some coffee. Right <laughs> at the end, I...
2: Come and stand before your Maker, full of wonder, full of fear. Come behold His power and glory, yet with confidence strong near. For the one who holds the heavens and commands the stars above is the God who bends to bless us with an unrelenting love. to a walked this path before us. He is walking with us still, turning tragedy to triumph, turning agony to praise. There is blessing in the battle, so take heart and stand amazed. Rejoice when you cry to hear me, here's your voice.
1: Welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park. I'm Pastor Aaron and we are thrilled to have you with us this morning for our worship service. It's about to begin. If you haven't done so already, now is the perfect time to go and find your seat. When you came in this morning you should have received a bulletin. You'll also find a pen in the seat back pocket in front of you taking notes. If you forgot your Bible this morning, No problem, we've got you covered. Just pick up and use one of our Bibles that are located right by the sound booth. And if you need a Bible, keep it, our gift to you. If you're joining us online, welcome! We're thrilled to have you with us as well. Uh, Please let us know you're here by filling out the online connection card at estespark.church. Now as we prepare our hearts for worship, we want to make sure that we remove distractions. So let's also take a moment to pull out our cell phones and to put them on to silent or do not disturb. And as we do that, here are a few announcements of some of the great things that are happening this week at the church.
3: let the little children come to me. Don't forbid them, for such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it." Operation Christmas Child is a way for the little children to come to Almighty God. That is the best gift of all, is becoming part of God's family.
0: The mission of Operation Christmas Child never changes. Children are coming to Jesus, children are being discipled, and children are taking
3: the gospel to the ends of the earth. These children are brave and bold, not afraid, and they're not ashamed of the gospel. They're trained and equipped to go out and share their faith with others.
1: And many times in areas where it's an unreached people group, the Bible tells us the time is now.
3: Let them come, Jesus said, let them come. And they're coming. They're coming by the millions.
2: Every single box represents the life of a young boy, a young girl who will be touched by the gospel.
3: Jesus has come to give them light that they do not need to be in the darkness that they have hope that they have joy and it is our prayer that this glorious light of the gospel will flow among the nations and will fill our land with the knowledge of the glory of God
0: the Lord God Almighty desires to fulfill this redemptive plan for mankind in and through each of us and all of us all of us are children of God we share this incredible opportunity to take the gospel truly to the ends of the earth by gathering children to
3: Jesus. I believe this year for Operation Christmas Child, this may be the most important year, most important opportunity that we'll ever have to reach children in the name of Jesus Christ. Pray that God will use these shoebox gifts to make a difference in the children's life for eternity.
4: Operation Christmas Child is in full swing here at CCEP. We'll only be collecting boxes for less fortunate children around the world for one more month, so pack a shoebox and bring it right here to the church before November 13th. Next weekend is a fifth Sunday, and you know what that means? We will be having our 5th Sunday whole church brunch in between services as well as our first ever CCEP pie contest. If you want to sign up for our pie contest and reserve a spot on the table, just write pie on the back of your connection card. One of our favorite parts about 5th Sunday brunch is not the foods or desserts, but rather the fellowship we have as one church as we meet and mingle over fantastic food and drink. So, next Sunday, October 30th, break out your best pie recipe and have your finished masterpiece here by 9.30 as we share in our favorite Sunday. Speaking of the fifth Sunday, we are having an informational meeting about next year's mission trip to Mexico on October 30th. We want to be a church that is passionate about living out the Great Commission, to go and make disciples of all nations. During the Mexico trip, we'll be partnering with Pastor Roberto and Betty Martinez to serve their church and share the gospel alongside them in their broken community. The best part about this trip is that there's a place for everyone to be the hands and feet of Jesus in practical ways. Like playing soccer with local teenagers, putting on a vacation Bible school for local children, doing building projects at the church, and many other ministries. There are even opportunities for those of you who are physically unable to attend the trip to be a part of the team. So next week after second service at 12, Pastor Jesse and the Mexico trip leadership team will be holding a short, no commitment, informational meeting right here in the family room. If you aren't able to make it to the meeting, don't worry. Just connect with Pastor Jesse in the next few weeks and he'll give you all the information you'll need. If you are interested in being on the Mexico team, just come to the meeting next week at noon, grab an information packet from Pastor Jesse after service is over, or write Mexico trip on the back of your connection card. Join the Mexico team today and be a part of this life-changing cross-cultural missions trip.
0: Well, good morning, church. Let's stand. We're going to worship the Lord this morning. Uh, The Lord laid on my heart something this morning that I'd like to share with you. Um, I I think we, as a, a culture at large, have this tendency to just want to get through stuff. It's like you get to your workspace and you just kind of want to get through the day. And we show up to church like with that same kind of like popcorn mentality where it's like, what's the next thing? And we're so concerned about getting through that if, you know, Pastor Aaron preaches for five extra minutes, everybody's like, man, it's brunch time here. Come on. And so we have so much interest in just getting through uh, when I think God wants us to behold to be with him, And, and we think of worship as this, like, giving experience, but in reality, it should be an interactive experience with the living God, and that's what worship is. It's entering into his throne room to spend time in his presence to hear what he might have to say to you wherever you're at, and the Lord laid this passage on my heart. And the boy Samuel, he's a young kid, and he's living in the temple, and uh, there's there's no uh, visions in this day. This is what verse 1 says. It says, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there was no frequent vision. And two times God calls to Samuel, and he says, Samuel. And Samuel says, Eli, did you call? And, the, and then Eli says, This is the Lord speaking to you. So this is what you say. He said, And the Lord said, called Samuel again the third time, and he rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls to you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood, calling as at the other times. Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. And so this is what I'd like to do today before we enter into our time of worship and interacting with the Lord, uh, is that we would just take a moment that we would behold that the king is in the room with us, and that we would say that simple prayer that, that Samuel did. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So let's just bow in prayer right now. Let's close our eyes, no distractions, and let's just spend some time with the Lord before we we give him songs of praise. And let's just let our hearts say that simple phrase, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. That you would help us believe that you are here in the room with you, with us this morning. That it that it's the praises of your people that you inhabit, that you live amongst. So, Lord, I pray that you'd give us a spirit that doesn't just desire to get through or get out or get on to the next thing, but Lord, that you'd give us a desire to behold your glory, to see you for the holy. Holy, holy God, that you are. Lord, that we would say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. That we would receive whatever it is that you might have for us this morning. That you would speak into the fabric of our souls this morning. That we would know and experience you, not just sing songs about you, but Lord, that we would have an interaction with you this morning. Lord, that we wouldn't go anywhere that you're not leading. Lord, that we wouldn't march forward without you there with us. So, Lord, give us a mentality that just desires to be in your presence and to hear what you have to say to us. Lord, we thank you this morning, and I pray that you'd give us all reason to praise you because you are a, a God who is mighty to save, that uh, that your arm is not short or weak in power, but you are mighty and strong, that there is none too far for you to reach. Lord, that, that the blood of Jesus still speaks a better word so we just ask that you would come and that you would not just fill this room but fill our hearts with your joy that, that you would give us a supernatural joy of your presence that as we sing these songs of praise to you that we would be also listening to you and that Lord you would be filling us as we do this many of us are broken and weary from the week. but I pray that you would meet each of us exactly where we are as we sing and heave up offerings of praise to your throne these things we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Let's worship church.
5: That's never failing, let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a savior, the hope of a nation, Savior, he can move the mouth. you find me, all my fears and failures, and fill my life again. I give my life to follow, everything I believe in, oh, now I surrender. the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King. We sing Jesus, shine your light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King. Jesus, shine your light and let the whole world see. Singing for the glory of the risen King, oh Savior, he can move the mountains. Our God, our God is mighty to save, he is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, he rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered. can move the mountains, our God is mighty to save, he is mighty to save, forever, author of salvation, he rose and conquered the grave, Jesus conquered the grave, he rose and conquered the grave, Jesus conquered the grave. talking sing praises to your name praises your name is life your name is hope inside me hope inside me your name is love a love that always Inside me, hope inside me. Your name is love, a love that always finds me, always finds. breath when I doubt it Lord remind me I'm wonderfully made you're an artist and a Potter, on the canvas and the clay you make all things work together for my future and for all things work together for your glory and for your name there's a healing life just beyond I've walked through fire. I see clearly now. I know nothing has been wasted. No failure or mistake. You're an artist and a potter on the campus. the canvas and the clay so when i doubt it lord remind me i'm wonderfully made you're an artist and a potter i'm the canvas and the clay and i know nothing has been wasted no failure or mistake you're an artist and a potter i'm the canvas and the clay so when I doubt it, Lord, remind me, I'm wonderfully made. You're an artist and a potter of the canvas and the clay. And I know nothing has been wasted, no failure or mistake. You're an artist and a potter of the canvas and the clay. Cause you make all things. Together, my future, and for my good, you may go.
6: Let us remember who it is that we are praying to, that he is the potter, the artist who has sculpted each and every one of us individually with such a great love, such a great care that we can't even comprehend it. And as our creator, he longs to hear from us, each and every one of us. So this morning, whether you lift your prayers in your heart or speak them aloud, let us now go before the throne of our great father. Heavenly Father, we give you praise and honor and glory this morning, because you are our God. You are the one who made us. You are the one who made our world, the one who made our universe. In your hands are all of the glory, all of the honor, all of the power. This morning, we ask that you hear us as we lift up our prayers, as we lift up our praises, and as we lift up our petitions. Entered into this place. Continue in our prayers this morning let us pray for the transforming of our minds and of our hearts in Christ that as we sit here and pray as we do our worship service as we listen to the sermon that the Spirit of God will work upon us that we will become more like him less like the world For the families and the marriages in the church let us pray that they will be founded upon Christ alone that they will have strength in Christ alone but also that they through Christ will overcome all struggles all obstacles and demonstrate what it means to be part of the family of God this morning let us pray for unity in our homes let us pray that the enemy will not overcome our families will not overcome our community will not overcome our church but that we will be of one mind one spirit with god and with each other We lift these prayers, these praises, and these thanksgivings to you. We do so knowing that by our own strength, by our own power, we are not worth it. We, we aren't worthy of being in your throne room. We are always astounded by the grace and the mercy that you show us by not only allowing us to come before your throne but encouraging us to do so. We ask now, Lord, that you fill our minds and our hearts with your spirit so that as we pray these things, we don't do so with a selfish human desire, but in accordance with your will, with accordance to your spirit, that your design be done and not our own. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. As we enter into this time of communion, the trays are passed around Uh, take one of the bread and one of the juice cups and hold on to it until the end of the meditation and we'll take it all together as one family (coughs) in the book of Deuteronomy we read this hear O Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength these commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts impress them on your children Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. What a very interesting passage. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, that is the passage he turned to. That says a lot especially in light of the communion, the greatest fulfillment of the commandments of God were the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. But all of his commandments, all of the scripture, everything that we learn here, he commands that we put it on our hearts, bind it to our wrists, put it on our door frames. Let's take a moment to think, how have we done this? How have we not how can we do this going forward Jesus was betrayed he took that bread and he broke it he gave it to his disciples and said this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me and now together as one body in Christ remembering that he fulfilled all of the law and prophets let us take this bread together Jesus took the wine, and he blessed it. He gave it to his disciples and said, This is my blood, which is poured out for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And now together, as one body in Christ, remembering to hold those commands ourselves, let us take this juice together. Heavenly Father, as we take the communion this morning, help us to remember Jesus, help us to remember his sacrifice, but most importantly, help us to remember how he fulfilled all of scripture by doing this thing for us, that holding those commandments that you gave firmly in his heart, he was able to restore us to himself. Help us to aim for that goal. To bind all of the scripture into our minds and into our hearts that we can further emulate christ as he lived on this earth we pray this lord so that in all ways by word or by speech all people might see us but see you in us and through us that they might be drawn into your kingdom and into your embrace we pray this in the most holy and powerful name of jesus christ
4: Welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park. We are so glad to have you with us this morning. If you are a guest, we have a special gift for you. It is a book called Unshakable. If you haven't already received your copy, please stop by the Welcome Center after the service. Today we will be in our series, Beautiful by Design, Biblical Wholeness from Gender to Generation. In our current world where there is so much tension surrounding topics like gender marriage identity and family god who is the architect of it all decisively reveals his beautiful design for it in his word in this series pastor Aaron will begin to help us recognize that the author of life itself knows how it can best be lived and enjoyed and that his blueprints for humanity found in scripture truly do lead to personal wholeness and human flourishing. Before we get started, let's talk about the green connection card in your bulletin. Once you have your card, please fill out your name and current contact information. One of the primary reasons we ask you to fill out the connection card is because we believe that God has a reason for having you here today. By filling out the card, you're letting God know that you're ready to take some next steps as the service progresses. And it allows us to pray for you and support you as you take those next steps. Pastor Aaron will share more about those next steps at the end of today's service. So hold on to your connection card and drop it in the offering basket at the end of the service. Inside your bulletin, you'll also find an offering envelope. If you came prepared to give today, please place it in the offering basket along with your connection card. You can also give online at our website estuspark.church/give. Now that we've gone over the connection card, let's turn our attention to the word of the Lord and get into the message.
1: Well, good morning. Yeah. Welcome to the Christian Church of Vestas Park. We're disciples of Jesus to build generational, transformational disciples of Jesus. Of course, I'm Pastor Aaron, and I'm glad you're with us today. We're in our uh, last portion of our series, Beautiful by Design. I don't know if you noticed this morning, but I sure did, that we had some technical difficulties <laughs> over on this side. Would it help if I just gave you a minute to work on that? Just Okay, well, here's a good object lesson for us. Did worship still happen? Absolutely. Worship still happened, you know, everything, but... Was it a distraction? It was a distraction. It could have been better. You know, the body uh, of Christ is is, uh, an amazing thing where God says that we all have this opportunity to come together. We're supposed to work uh, together. And as everybody does, our own special part, the whole body is healthy and growing and filled with love, right? And just imagine like this TV is so often like uh, many believers think, well, I'm redundant. There's someone else. The worship will still go on if I don't show up, if I don't help out, if I'm not there. And it does but not as well. And so for all of you who are out there serving and helping and, and, and doing great things in the body of Christ, which I'm so grateful, we got a very active body uh, that does all kinds of amazing things. You are not redundant. Uh, you, you matter, right? You bring glory to God. And when you show up and you do your job and you, and you be able to do your portion, it may seem small to you, but it's not. It's noticed by the world, it's noticed by God, and it helps us promote and and God's goodness and to bring the worship into this world. So you do matter. Use this TV as just a reminder that nothing is small in the kingdom of God. Something else I noticed on this TV too. You know why it didn't work? It showed us. It says it didn't have the right signal. It showed up, but it wasn't connected to the right source. And so often too, we show up and we're not connected to the right source and we could do all kinds of good works, but it's never going to bring glory to God unless we're connected to him, right? Unless we're really demonstrating and broadcasting His goodness in our lives and through our lives. So what a lesson from a little black TV. Now, we have another one here that's doing its best. So we're just (laughs) going (laughs) to, right? It's better just to show up even if you're not perfect. Glad we have it. You know, uh, we're at this last week. We're talking about beautiful by design and the good news of how God created us. This world has got such uh, a level of confusion in it as to... Uh, what God designed for family and individuals Um, really the enemy you can see if you want to destroy society then uh, you you need to to destroy really the church uh, because with salt and light we hold things together if you want to destroy the church we'll destroy the family because the church is a family and if we don't understand how family works and and the next generations are gonna have a hard time if you want to destroy a family then destroy the individual Right? and make them question even who they are, and that they're not even a person made in God's image, that they're not uh, someone that's designed by God for purpose. If you want to destroy that, well, then this just make them wonder even very basic things about them. Am I a man? Am I a woman? What does that even mean? And aren't you glad to know that God called us to live a different way, that his design is, is beautiful, it's simple, it's not complicated, but it's wonderful. And we started a couple of weeks ago and we found out as Christians, we don't draw our identity the way that the rest of this world does. We're not identified by external things, by like my race or my socioeconomics or even by who I vote for, that those things don't define me, that I'm defined by God. That's the most important thing about me is I am who God says I am. And that's why in Christ, the very first thing every Christian does is they die to themselves and they're born again, right? Into a new family, into a new identity, into a new purpose. Everything that we are as Christians, uh, we find our identity first comes from him. And it's not who the world says I am, because the world may look at me and say, well, you look like the same Aaron that before he came to Christ, but I'm very, very different. I may have the same name, but I am very, very different. And I'm not just... I'm not defined by, by all those externals that they try to say and try to, to put me into these boxes, but I'm also not who I say I am. Because sometimes I have a wrong understanding of who I am, and I get confused. And I'll say things about me that just aren't true. I'll say that, you know, I'm not lovable, that I'm not worthy of being forgivable. And that's true, I'm not worthy of it, but I still am. I'll say things like, sometimes I'll get arrogant, and I'll say I'm better than somebody else. That's not true. I'm so glad that I don't define me. That God has defined me, and we have to start there, and as as we are defined by God, then we get into the rest of these things that builds us up. That that we have this identity in Christ, which is a beautiful identity, that God has given us, an amazing one. And as that, then we, we look at those terms that really the rest of the world has got a lot of confusion over, and that's why this whole series is really for the believer, right? Because we find our identity in who God says we are, part of that has to do with our gender. That. Gender is from God. It's not from culture. It's not from our feelings. It's not from our our deep convictions on the inside. Gender comes from God, he's the one who made us. And there are two genders, male and female. God created us that way to reflect him. And that's a beautiful thing. And that men reflect God in in, in their masculinity, and women reflect God in their femininity. And what a wonderful thing that is. And that God has given us our gender as a way that he's crafting us to do the good works which he's prepared in advance for us to do. So one of the things we get to do is not ask, you know, who does culture say I am or what does culture say men should be or women should be because culture has no idea what men or women should be. But we look to scripture, we look to God. We also look to say, as the gender that God has given me, not how I feel, but what does that mean? What is my place in his kingdom? How do I act? How do I find that role? And then two of those places that we find that the only two Uh, Institutions that God created uh, have gender roles because both of those institutions were designed to reflect Him in His masculinity and His femininity. And that's the church and family. So we talked about family last week, really starting with marriage. And marriage, we have it there that, that you have a man and a woman united by God for life. That's what marriage is. What a wonderful thing, and how God unites them. And he brings these two into one, masculine and feminine, and that men in the marriage fill the role of husband, and women fill the role of wife, and then the responsibility that men have as husbands is to love their wives, they have this, uh, this responsibility to lay down their lives for their wives, to make sure that their wives have a better life because of them, that, they're, that they take responsibility for them and for their family, that wives have a role to, to honor and to follow their husband's lead that make sure that they're, they're helping and not hurting, that they are an advocate, not an adversary. And as we have that pattern, that, that marriage, we have a great foundation then for the next thing uh, that was also important, that God didn't just stop with a couple. Aren't you glad that it wasn't just Adam and Eve and that was it? Because there wouldn't be us. But then there was family and the church is a family. And to understand how the church is to operate and, and how we operate together, we have to look at the family. What is it that we are designed to do? And that's what we're going to talk about today. Because culture, again, has a very bad idea about how families are supposed to work. Most families in our culture are pretty broken. And we go back to that first truth that we talked about, that broken truths leave to broken lifestyles. And broken lifestyles break lives. And we see a lot of wounded people and they don't even know why they're wounded. Because they're told, hey, this is the way family's supposed to work. And so they operate their family in that way. And all of a sudden, they've wound up wounded and broken. And they don't know why. But God has a better design. And we're going to talk about family today. So if you come from you know, a home that's you know, lived this model and you've had the benefit of that, praise God. That is awesome. Or if you're like me and many others that are here that have, have gone through a broken home, And I want you to hear there's hope in this because now there is direction. There's a beautiful design that God invites us into. So we're going to talk about today. But the first thing, just a reminder, our memory verse, Ephesians 4.17, that that gives us that, that theological, wonderful invitation to live a different way. And it just says you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. That the way that this world operates is futile. And it's not that they mean to be futile. It's the futility of their thinking. The world thinks that they're genuinely wise. They think they're brilliant. They have a better idea than God has. But it doesn't work. It doesn't take culture anywhere. It just breaks people. And aren't you glad to know that God says, we don't have to live that way anymore? In fact, it insists on it in the Lord that if you're in Christ, don't live like that. It's kind of like when my son was a a little kid, you know, and he was he's a fun little dude, right? But man, he he would he would do the craziest things, and he would he would live like a little uh, like a caveman, basically. He would just have his little diaper on, and he would you know go into the fridge and just grab food, and just eat it that way, and then have you know mud and dirt all over him. He was just savage. Well, I insisted upon it in the Lord that he no longer live in that feudal way of living, and I grew him up to, the respectable and wonderful and handsome young gentleman that we all know and love, that there's a better way to live. And God says, you know what? Don't live like the savages. There's a better way. So if you haven't had a chance to take some time to to set your heart and remember this and to remind yourself of it and to to memorize it, take some time this week. It's on your connection card, that memory verse. It's there. Peel it off. Take it with you. And just that reminder that not just in this area but in all areas, God has a better way, right? And that's why we give ourselves to this. That's why we're disciples and we find that transformation from discipleship. Now, as you do that, um, why don't we turn our Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Maybe. There we go. Uh, Colossians chapter 3. And as we do, you, would you mind just forwarding the slide? I don't know why it's just being weird today. Okay. So it's one of three sections in scripture that uh, talk about family. So far, we've gone through uh, 1 Peter 3. We've talked about Ephesians 5. We spent some time in there. Those are the other two. Today, we're going to really focus in on Colossians chapter 3. And. And so uh, it's going to talk about family. You notice there's a very brief section in there uh, that talks about family. And it really comes in a context of of, uh, the Holy Spirit really encouraging us to live a different kind of life. You know, First, Paul writing through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church at Colossae, but that, that we have this different way of living that is very, very different than the world, which is kind of what we've been talking about. And he comes down to this portion where he says that uh, we're supposed to do all these things without, uh, for the glory of God, however we're supposed to live, do all these things to, to glorify God. And uh, then he moves right from there into family. So we're not without grumbling or complaining, but with joy and with, uh, with excitement because what God has for us is better way is good. And, uh, and he starts with marriage. And why does he start with marriage? In fact, every single time we find family discussed in scripture, it starts with marriage. Why is that? Well, that's because marriage is, uh, is the foundation, the best foundation for a family. That's how God designed it. So the, it's that families are best built upon a solid marriage. It doesn't mean you can't have a family with a solid marriage, but it's the best foundation, right? I mean, you can build your house on all kinds of foundations, but you know, bedrock's going to be your best bet, right? This is the best way how God designed marriages to stand, and so solid marriages. So uh, broken marriages have, you know, and and, and unhappy marriages and and difficult marriages have some, uh, makes it more difficult to have a solid family, right? In fact, broken marriages makes it even more difficult to have, to build a family upon. You can do it a lot harder, all right, so scripture gives us this ideal and t- teaches us a better way. And so uh, he talks about with the husband and the wife, verses 18 and 19, as it goes in there, it says, wives, submit yourselves oh, to your own husbands, come back. Submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord, and husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So Ephesians 5 in a nutshell, right there. Real simple, right? So the primary purpose we find in marriage in this is to reflect God's image, right? You have masculine and feminine you know, those two portions of God's image and the image of God, he created the male and female. We have them reunited. You have this, this complementary cooperation where they're different, but they work together. They fit together. They, they're not to work against each other. That you have in marriage, you have the husband uh, bringing, loving his wife and the wife respecting her husband. And so you have a, a culture of love and respect. You have the husband sacrificing for his wife, making sure that her life is better, that that she's benefited, that she's cared for, that she's protected. You have the wife honoring her husband. So you have a culture of sacrifice and honor, and that creates a really healthy environment for humans to thrive. So healthy homes start there. That's the the core of where we begin. You really, if we if we want to have the best homes, we should start here. All right. Now there is a fallacy that we have in. We've heard this, that people say, well, we're just going to stay together for the kids, and we're going to continue to have a miserable marriage, and we're not going to work on the marriage, but we're going to stay together for the kids because it's better, at least for us to be together in this miserable marriage than it is for us to be broken. Let's just start with that is crazy talk, right? Uh, Realize that you are living the legacy you're going to leave right now. And so we shouldn't be okay with having bad things. It's not like in Scripture it says anywhere, we'll just have a miserable marriage and just hang on long enough for the kids to graduate. I don't read that anywhere, praise God. That'd be miserable, right? That we, we want to realize that the best gift you can give to your kids and your grandkids is a good marriage. If it's possible, invest in that. Just because you got someone to say, I do, doesn't mean, well, then you throw up your hands and say, well, I got that done. Let's move on to something else. Invest in your marriage. Look, go back to those previous passages of your husband. How do you live this out? How do you love and, and honor and, and to, to take care of and, and, and sacrifice for your wife? And if you're a wife, go back to those things. Say, how am I, How do I honor and respect my husband? How to become a helper, an advocate, not an adversary? Work on those things. It matters for your kids and also for your grandkids, by the way. When you say, well, Aaron, what about difficult marriages? Because there are difficult marriages, right? And truthfully, every marriage has ups and downs, right? That, you know, there's, easy times and difficult times in everyone's marriage so if anybody ever tells you that they've you know married our marriage has always been good we've never fought i'm like well then you never talked right that's just not true like every marriage is going to have hardship and every marriage is going to have some good times but some marriages are more difficult than others because some people are more difficult than others if we're honest right right? And so there are things, sometimes there's circumstances that makes life hard. There's like illness that makes sometimes a marriage more difficult. Uh, You have things like maybe people being unequally yoked. You're with a you're a Christian and, you're, and your spouse isn't, or you're a Christian that's really following passionately after God, and you're with a Christian who's kind of lukewarm, doesn't really care. That's going to create some tension and makes it more difficult, right? You may be married to have a, one spouse who's very willing to make the marriage better, and the other one doesn't care at all and is just lazy and it's not going to make it better. That's a difficult marriage, right? And so uh, there's help in Scripture for that. Uh, but there's also that crosses the line from a difficult marriage to an abusive marriage, And abusive marriages are are an entirely different thing, right? Uh, So if if you're in an abusive relationship, I want you to hear this. God, nowhere in Scripture, advocates for abuse. Marriage is not a cage match in which now you're stuck inside and the last person standing just stands. It's not what it's about, right? Uh, Marriage was not a trap. It's not like, well, you know, somebody fooled me, and then I said I do, and now they took off the mask, and there's this horrible beast, and now I've got to stick with them because they tricked me. That's not at all anywhere biblical. If you are in an abusive marriage, you need to get help now, and the church is here to help you you got to come talk to us, but we're not gonna. it's not okay with God for you to be in an abusive situation. That does not reflect Him well. It is not okay, and if you are an abuser in a marriage, you better watch out because God is not happy with you. And there is a wrath coming upon you that He speaks about in Scripture. He's not even going to hear your prayers is what it says. It's like a brass wall. You are separated from His goodness, you're separated from His blessing, and you will be separated from any kind of His mercy. If you are an abuser, you had better repent get help now and i'm not kidding about this and guess what the church is here to help you too so if you're in an abusive marriage get help everything i'm going to talk about for the rest of this doesn't apply to you this applies to you get help that has to stop the second thing is if you're in a marriage with addiction Realize that the church is like the the scripture isn't there saying, "Well, now you're just trapped and you have to just face this brokenness and abuse and there's no help for you." That is not true. To realize that when you said "I do" to your spouse, you didn't say "I do" to the beast. An addiction is a beast, and it has to be dealt with. It's not something to cover up, and it's not something to walk away from. It's something that we have to go and to slay that beast. And you're not alone. And so, if you're in a marriage where there's addiction, get help. And the church is here to help you. Let us know. And if your spouse is struggling with addiction, let us know. Because there is freedom, and there is help, and there is hope in Christ. And so everything else that I talk about for the rest of this message really isn't going to apply to you. What applies to you is this, get help. And we're here to help. So let us help. But let's talk about the other things. Because most marriages aren't in the area of abuse. And most air marriages aren't dealing with addiction, having this monster in the home. Most marriages are just have two sinful people that got stuck together that are working it out. And they're going to have good times and have hard times. And we have to love each other enough and serve each other through the sins so we can help one another, so we can grow together, so we can reveal the goodness of Christ in each other so that we can reflect his goodness to the world. That's what marriage was designed to do. And for most, it's there. And so here's some, diff- so some guidelines. If you're in a difficult marriage, not an abusive marriage or anything like that, but if you're just in a difficult marriage right now, there's some things the scripture tells us to do. And the first one that we have in there is to honor God by honoring your role. All right? Your spouse may not be fully honoring their role yet. Maybe they're not even willing to do that yet. But you know what? God holds you accountable for what he's asked you to do. So if you're a husband and you have a wife that's not really respecting you, still love her. Pray for her, provide for her, care for her. In this way, you're demonstrating the sufferings of Christ. Does the church ever be selfish? Does the church ever disrespect Christ? Yeah, but he doesn't abandon us. Fulfill your role. If you're a wife and you're with a husband that's not really fulfilling his role, he's not as, as loving to you, he's being more selfish, he's, you know what, still respect him, right? Be an advocate, try to help him be better, right? That's, that's do your part, that's the most, first and most important thing. So you honor God, and why do we do that? Ephesians 5, it says, submit to one another out of your reverence for Christ. If your spouse doesn't have that same reverence for Christ. Well, pray for them, help them, but you have to reverence Christ. Fulfill your role as a way of honoring God. As we do that, then you have to find your needs in Christ, right? And also in the church, right? That there are times in marriage where your spouse may not be able to fulfill your emotional needs, may not be able to, to, you know, uh, to be everything that God has called them to be. Maybe they're in a point of weakness, maybe they're in a point of brokenness, maybe they're in a point of immaturity. But here's the thing, is that your spouse was never designed by God to be enough. Right? We need to find our wholeness and our he- wholeness in Christ and maybe this is an opportunity for you to to really do that to not put another person on the the throne of your heart but to put Christ there. And so, if you feel lonely, well, start talking to God. You have the Holy Spirit, but also you have a church. You have brothers and sisters of faith who love you and care for you, who who If you're not getting the affection you need at home, realize that God has a lot of affection for you. Start asking him for that. And you know what you're going to find also amongst the church is you're going to find a lot of affection and kindness. That we need to find our wholeness in Christ. Fill those needs there first. And I think that gives you a better place because then you're not going to your wife or your husband in a codependent kind of way where you need something from them, like you're a little addict, right? But you can receive their love and their respect and all the things that they bring as a gift, as an offering. But you are not in this, this needy place. So go to Christ. It's an opportunity to grow in that. The, the third thing you can do, and this is really fun, is to change the equation by being changed. You realize that a relationship is just like two people. There's that bond there, right? And if one person changes, it changes the relationship. Just by itself. So you grow closer to christ you allow god to change you become uh you know more christ-like in how you live you go to him and receive his grace and his mercy receive his forgiveness so you could become a more graceful and forgiving person receive his love so you could become more of a loving person right you fill yourself with his word more so you could put on the full armor of god and be ready to be able to to not just get swept away by the next you know argument or something like this you grow Grow yourself up in Christ. That's called discipleship. And as you develop, as you become a better and more mature, more Christ-like person, you're bringing more Christ into your home. And guess what? Sometimes, maybe, that's what your spouse needs. Someone needs to to take the lead. I mean, Jesus even talked about this as far as, like, how to end wars. He's like, if someone slaps you, don't just hit them back, right? Someone's got to be the first one to declare peace. Somebody. And in your home, somebody's gonna be the first one to mature. Somebody's gotta do it. To get out of that death spiral of just selfishness and and damage. So change the equation. Devote yourself to Christ and to become more and more mature in Him. I guarantee it's gonna make a change in your marriage. There's no way that it can't. Again, these aren't abusive marriages. I'm not talking about, you know, with addiction and things like this. Just in every home. Focus on these things. If you have a difficult marriage, work on this. And God will work in, in you and through you. Now there's other things we've strayed from the ideal. We ask, what about single parents? Right? Because there's a lot of single parents. In fact, over half the kids in the US right now are raised in single parent homes. And so that's not the ideal. They have a home, they have a family, but it's not built upon a marriage. So what are they supposed to do? Is God not care about them? Oh, by far, that is not true. God cares very much about single parents, right? Uh, think about how often in scripture, even God talks about widows and orphans. That's not God's ideal, but he cares a lot for them. So what about these things? If you are a single parent, here's some things that you can do to help build your home, right? Because it's gonna be a little more difficult, but it's one of the first thing you could do is practice purity, Right, It says in, in Hebrews that uh, the marriage bed should be respected by all. Right? That's an important thing, that you can set an example for your children, and you are setting an example for your children, and help them. Like You don't have the benefit, and you recognize how more, much more difficult it is to build your home off the foundation of a solid marriage. So don't pass that on. Right? Validate the importance and the, and the dignity and, and the holiness of marriage in how you live practice it in your own life. Something else you can do is honor your ex. This does not mean to say lies about them. There is probably a reason you're not with them. But you can be honest without being hostile. They realize that your children don't need to be put between a war between their parents. Right? So you could speak truthfully, but you don't have to, but you can be respectful. And if you need to have a friend that you can vent to, then go do that. The church has got lots of people that would be happy to hear you vent, but not to your kids. All right, we want to teach them something which is important in Scripture, is to honor your father and mother. And so if you're not helping them honor their father and mother, then you're not helping them follow Christ. So, honor your ex. And the third thing is, don't go it alone. That's the biggest thing is uh, in Scripture we find this... Uh, this idea like, well, I've, I've messed up, and uh, people say, well, then, uh, you know, I find in Scripture there's, this is the ideal, but I can't do it, so I'm alone. God's not going to help me. The Bible's not here to help me because I'm away. That's not true at all. That God says that He's never going to leave you, forsake you. There's a reason He gave us that promise, because He knew that we would be bozos, and that we would mess up, and that there would be times that we would, in our own thinking, think, well, He should leave us, and it would make sense for Him to forsake us because we've been lousy, but He won't. The Holy Spirit is with you, so don't ignore him. Rely upon God. You know what you also have? The word of God is just as powerful in every situation. The word of God is not for healthy people. If we already were righteous on the inside, God would not have needed to give us scripture because we would have just intrinsically known it. But we need to have it because it's our guidelines. It helps us. So you have scripture. But you don't just have the Holy Spirit in Scripture. You have a church and a church family who loves you. And to realize that, that there are things that are going to be much harder for you on a practical level because there's one of you instead of two. So let the church help. It's good for us to help. right? Practical things. And at different stages of life, those practical things will change. But allow the church and the community to come in and to love you. And to to help you and to care for you because together as a healthy body we help each other grow and as everyone does their own special work the whole body's healthy growing filled with love so realize that as a single parent don't pull away you have no reason for shame anything you have our admiration that you're doing something much in a much harder way but god doesn't want you to just to live with that unless all to watch you and say haha see your life is so much harder No. God is a redemptive God, and the church is a redemptive family. So come together. Let us help. Right? So if we have this, we have uh, talked about some of the, the areas that are difficult in culture. Let's just talk about go back to the ideal, which really God calls us to, and this is what we want to be growing to this. Every parent then, what is the role of, of in, mar- in, in the family relationship? Well, we have parents and children, right? Just like there's a husband and wife in marriage, in families there's parents and children. Those are roles. That people fill right, and these are just based upon uh, whether or not you have kids. So parents have a responsibility for their children. In Scripture, this is 100% of the time. Never do you have children have responsibility for their parents. It's not like children were like, well, what did your dad do? You know, that's, no, you better discipline your dad to make sure that he does something better. It's not the way. now. That's what you'll find on on television and movies. You have the doofus dad who can't barely you know you know button up his pants. You know. But, you know, he's not able to do anything, so the kids have got to take care of him. But no, in Scripture, parents are responsible for their children. We have to recognize that children didn't come out of the womb knowing how to human. They just don't. Right? Like I said, they're like these little feral beasts. They're little savages. Somebody has to take responsibility for them so they don't stay savages. And whose job is that? It's parents. It's parents. Colossians 3.21 says this, fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Now, there's a responsibility that fathers have. Now, it, it, that we're obviously supposed to have some port of, of discipline for our kids, but how we do that matters. Now, when he talks about fathers here, he's really talking about parents. Why? Because, you know, husbands are fathers, and, and, and wives will be mothers, right? That's going to be the way that that role goes, but, but in a marriage, husband and f- wife, uh, you have uh, uh, you know, fathers and mothers, husbands and wives, the husband is the head of the home, he's going to represent the head, right? So in the same way, we find like when we pray, we pray, our Father who is in heaven, does that mean that God doesn't have any feminine characteristics? No, because in Genesis it says, in the image of God, he created the male and female, right? So he's talking about fathers, fathers can take responsibility, and so, so dads realize this that you can't just pass off the disciplining of your children to your wife, that you are responsible. Like you have to make sure that things are taking place. But wives, it doesn't mean, as a mom, you don't ever have to discipline your kid, right? How we discipline matters is that we're not to embitter our children or to become discouraged. Now, it, embitter or discourage or exasperate, it means to, to frustrate with futile processes, right? That we're constantly making our kids frustrated, like they can never get it right, they can never grow. We're not supposed to do that because If we do, they're going to be discouraged. We don't want to hamstring our kids by how we parent them. The bad parenting always results in discouragement, and that leads to two different paths. One is rebellion, where they're like, fine, I just can't do anything your way. I'm just going to do whatever I think I want. Right? And that doesn't ever really tend to lead to good things. The other one is just despondency. These kids are just like, fine, I guess I'm worthless. I I can't even please my parents. So they don't ever try. And if the thing is such a lie is that every child, in the image of God, has great, great potential. And it's a parent's job to help draw that up. So how do we become good parents? How do we not embitter our children so they don't become discouraged? We want to do the opposite. Well, we want to parent like God parents, right? That would be a good way of doing it. We call him Heavenly Father. We should look at how God parents us, right? And God's parenting, he leaves us a very good example. And and first thing that we find is that, uh, that God takes responsibility over us, doesn't he? I mean, that's the whole reason he gave us scripture. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He gave us the prophets. He gave us all the church, right? God makes sure that we have what we need. He takes responsibility for us. He provides for our needs. He cares for us. He protects us. He does good things. And God also has the masculine and feminine traits. I think that's one of the reasons why we children are best raised in a home with not just two parents, but with a father and a mother, right? Two dads and two moms is not the same the masculine, the feminine, matter. They do, and it really helps children in a great way. Uh, you know, But at, with that, there's a way that God also, he, he brings not just that leadership and direction and that nurturing and that kindness, So, but uh, he also has what I would call a very high structure and a high love kind of parenting style. High structure is, is uh, you know, we have these set rules and we know what to expect, and it's always going to be, you know, like... This is the language we're going to use, or this is where we're going to have dinner, or this is how we you know, these are the expectations, and they're very clear and, and they're very, you know, light out. And if you don't do that, here's, the, the, here's what's going to happen. Here's, right? That God is that way. Think about the law. Did God give us a lot of structure? Yeah, God gives us a lot of structure, and that's helpful for us because we're not always wandering around wondering what we're supposed to do. But God is not just high structure, He's not just a military drill sergeant right? He doesn't just have a lot of structure and no love, that God also has an enormous amount of love, and love is that self-sacrifice. God does for us what is and for our good, regardless of his own. He even went to a cross on our behalf because he loves us. He forgives us constantly. He's before, Jesus is before the heavenly father, talking to the father on our behalf all the time, advocating for us, right? Why? That's love, so there's got to be a lot of grace, a lot of kindness, a lot of mercy, but also structure, both in high level. And which leads to then the difference, as we bring that structure, between discipline and punishment. And we talk about this because it's important. There's, there's only really two institutions in all of Scripture that are given the, the authority to punish, and that is that our, our, our government, the courts, right? And then also God, the, the court in heaven on the legal thing. What is punishment? Punishment is this is the expectation and this is where your behavior is right here's the gap between those and that's how much you have to suffer we're going to punish you you're going to suffer this much and if it's a just punishment the suffering will match the crime parents are not authorized to punish right instead we're called to discipline and what is discipline Well, discipline is here's the expectation and here's your behavior. And discipline is we're going to do everything we can to get you up to standard. That's what discipline is. That's why we are disciples of Jesus. That's why we help ourselves grow in Christ, right? Discipline leads to growth and to health. And a parent's job is to discipline their children to make them better, not beat them down. Do you see the difference? So in high structure and high love, we discipline our children. We do what is necessary to raise their behavior up to the higher standard. That's what God does for us. That's how we discipline and raise our children. In that, clarity and of, of understanding is important. We have to be able to talk to our kids. These are the expectations. These are how we're going to live. But also consistency, because that's part of structure. If we tell our kids you know, to live a certain way, and then they don't, and then there's no consequence, and then the next day they barely miss up something and then we you know, fly off the handle, we're not giving them a lot of structure. We're not giving them a secure place to grow up. It's going to be frustrating for them and it will leave them discouraged. High structure, high love. So parents, take responsibility of your children. And grandparents, you have a role in this too. That you are still parents of your kids. You know that. You don't have to parent them anymore as far as like disciplining them and raising them up, but you still have the opportunity to, to help d- disciple them, don't you? to be able to speak truth and love, to be able to, to not just say, well, that's just my kids, they're going to live however they want, but demonstrate through your own life, but also offer op, uh, counsel as they are open to it, right? Don't be silent. You have wisdom, you have faith and faithfulness. Don't keep that to yourselves. Now let's talk about kids because kids oftentimes, I think, they get ignored, and that is a real shame that children have responsibility in the family as well. And it says children are responsible to their parents. In Scripture, That, that there is this expectation, it, there is a hierarchy of authority in the home for a reason, and children are expected to be able to be responsible to their parents. They, they have to honor and obey them. Colossians 3.20 talks about this. It says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And realize that that really mimics a lot of what it says about wives to obey their husbands, to honor their husbands that children are supposed to do this as well. Now, again, this pleases the Lord. We have to make sure that we recognize that obedience isn't blind. Like a kid, if your parent tells you to, uh, you know, rob a gas station, you have to obey God first. Don't do that. But most parents won't ask you to do that, right? You honor God first, but then follow your parents, right? And this is part of the Ten Commandments, this goes all the way back even to the, to the Ten Commandments. Fifth Commandment says this, honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord God is giving you. It is in your benefit to not resist your parents. Here's the thing. They have lived longer than you. They may know a little bit more than you, right? They have a little more context, but the bigger thing is that they have responsibility by God over you. Their job is to discipline you to help you become a great human, That's what they're designed to do. That's their whole concept. So don't fight against them when they're trying to make you better. I know broccoli tastes lousy, but there's benefit for you, right? Waking up in the morning in time so you can get ready for school may seem lousy in the moment, but it has a benefit for you. And you might not even see that now, but I guarantee you'll be grateful for it later. But even if you don't agree with your parents, honor them, obey them, follow them, right? Philippians 4, it uh, talks about this, and this says, do everything, as he's talking to children, without grumbling or arguing. This is the way we're supposed to operate in your home as children. Why? So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And children, you are in a warped and crooked generation. We get that. And there's a lot of grace and support here at the church for you. It is a difficult world that you're in. But we want you to be effective in this generation. Because it says, if we do everything without grumbling or complaining, this is a holy way of living. It's different than what the world's telling you to do, isn't it? <laughs> the world's telling you just to be bold, be on your own, be sassy to your parents, you be your own person. But if you would just trust, and you would follow God, and out of your honor and respect of God, you would honor your parents in this horrible generation, it says, you will shine among them like the stars in the sky. You see, children, you are not the future of the church, you are the church today. You are. You're the light of Christ to your generation, primarily. And how you live is seen by them. How you treat your parents is a testimony. It is a testimony, and not just to your peers, but to many others as well. And I want you to remember this, that Jesus also obeyed his father and mother, and certainly he was smarter and more perfect than they were. And if Jesus could obey his earthly parents... We can obey ours. I mean, and in his obedience, he ended up saving the world. So here's marriage and family. It's a beautiful thing, and the church is a family. Right? The church was designed to operate in this way with, with a lot of their structure, absolutely. There's roles and responsibilities, but there is a context of love and respect and sacrifice and honor here. That as we all do our part, we fill our roles. we stop arguing and fighting amongst each other, as we start living according to the design that God has, God's kingdom grows. Hope is found in every part that the church exists. We find our lives more full because just as much as broken truths break lives and broken lives break people, holiness leads to wholeness. And God invites you to a whole life. And a lot of that has to do with Even in our home, how do you live? So, husbands and wives, love each other, honor each other. Parents, take responsibility for your children. Children, be responsible to your parents. And as we do this, we will shine like stars in this crooked and depraved generation. So the goodness of God will show that we don't have to live according to the foolishness of the ways of these, the thinking of of those that live today. That's a pretty good thing, isn't it? Isn't that good news? I think it's good news. How do you apply it? Well, on your connection card, because I love you and I'm a high structure, high love kind of guy, I have four things I'm going to invite you to do. First one is, why don't you honor God's design for family? Right? Just just recognize it and say, you know what? Culture can define family however they want, but we don't live that way anymore. We are Christians. We are defined by God. And we're going to honor His way. The, the, the biblical marriage is going to be the foundation. Right? Even if that's not, if you're, in a situation and that's not your experience, that's fine. You can still honor it and to say, you know what? A a good marriage is going to be that foundation. Speak it up. Encourage that, Uh, that you have a marriage that's going to have generational responsibilities. You have parents taking responsibility for your kids. You have kids being responsible to your parents. You have grandparents providing wisdom and discipleship for your children and grandchildren. Honor God's design for family. Maybe that's your commitment Maybe you didn't even realize the importance of showing up and being part of your family, but it is deeply important in Scripture. Second thing you can do, if you are married, invest in a healthy marriage, right? That is something you can be doing, is is pour into your marriage. Even if you've got a good marriage, don't coast on that, right? Every, even the best cars need to be fueled up with gas occasionally, right? Pour into your marriage. If you're a husband. Have a renewing thing today. How are you loving your wife? Think about that again. Talk with her. Find ways. How, is she really benefited because she's married to you? If you're a wife, are you supporting and honoring your husband? Right? Invest in your marriage. Learn how to love each other and care for each other better. You know, if, if you are single, take this opportunity to invest in marriage by preparing yourself. Here's a cool thing. If you're going to be equally yoked with somebody, that the better of a person you are, the better of a person you get to marry. Right? So don't be a bozo. Don't waste your time. Invest in your spirit and your and your and your personal character, right? Make sure that you're a better person so when you're equally yoked, you get a much higher quality spouse. Take your time to do that, right? Honor God's purposes. If you're a widow or divorced, practice purity, right? And, and as you do that, find wholeness in the church and your place. I mean, there's a lot of, of, of credible place in the kingdom of God and God's family for you. So uh, invest in a healthy marriage. The, ther- the next thing I wanna do If you have children, is to raise your children responsibly. Think about how you're parenting. Go over it today, think about is it high love, high structure, what areas do you have to improve on that? Are you disciplining instead of punishing? If If you are, that's great. Think about, make sure that the disciplines are most effective. If you're not, if you're just punishing, it's a great time for change. Another thing is to commit to being consistent. Really think about, am I being consistent in how I'm showing love? and how I'm disciplining and and, and bringing structure in it. Take some time to really raise your children responsibly. Don't let them just raise themselves because they're not going to. Something for all of us, honor our parents, right? Every one of us uh, with obedience and with respect. And that's even for those of us who have parents who have have gone on. Uh, There are some things, no parent was perfect, right? Because Jesus didn't have kids. So no parent has ever been perfect, ever. So there are gonna be things that you honor your parents by not doing those things in your home, right? By not carrying them on. There are other ways you honor your parents by taking the best of what they taught you and carrying those on, right? But if you are an adult, honor your parents with respect, right, if, uh if you are a child, honor your parents with your obedience and your respect, right, but maybe that's your commitment. You're gonna honor your parent. Last thing, talked about this, is that the church is God's family, and this really, this whole series was for Christians right, because you have to find your identity in Christ to even live this new way and so it would be wrong for me not to give you the opportunity, if you're not a follower of Christ if you're not God's child, then become his child today, let him redefine you, let him redesign you from the inside out, find this purpose and this order, the structure that makes life make sense so you get out of the craziness and the futility of this world and you can step into the wholeness of God, and if you need to do that, it's very simple it's a wonderful thing, God loves you he says that you don't have to do anything huge, that he really did what was necessary for you. So that you could be saved, you could be made his His child by his grace, means he just loves you, he's gonna do this for you. No matter how worthy and unworthy you are, he just loves you and he says that by that grace you accept it through your faith. You just trust it. And we express that faith in our belief, in our confession, repentance, baptism, a lot of church words, but I'll tell you, they're powerful. And If you need to take that step to receive Christ by, by faith, Then after this message, and I'm going to be around, come talk with me. You can talk to Pastor Jesse if you want to as well, but don't leave today without taking first that step of faith to become God's child so you can step into his family and find the wholeness in Christ. I've given you all something hopefully good to do. Next week we'll be uh, starting a series called Throne Room because there's this election coming up and we're going to be actually reminding ourselves we're part of even a bigger kingdom. We're going to be looking at scripture from Old Testament to New Testament at those visions that we've been given under the throne room of God and what those teach us about him and our place in this world. So I invite you back for that next week. Uh, It's going to be pretty awesome. Bring your pies too because it'll be awesome. Okay. So, but before that, we need to take our connection cards and we need to take our offerings. So in a moment, we'll pass the baskets. Please take your connection cards, drop them in the offering basket along with your tithes and your gifts. Uh, Make your connection cards your first offering of obedience and honor to God this week. Let me pray for you as we take those. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and your kindness, your love, your mercy. Thank you for your, your love. Thank you for the structure that you give us and the order that we have in life. Even if we don't always understand it, God, we know that you're smarter than we are and that you're good. And that you've never done anything in this world to destroy us. In fact, Lord, you've, you've taught us so many things to rescue us from ourselves, from the consequences of our own bad decisions. And you've never abandoned us, not once, never will. And we're so grateful. That you are the greatest parent that has ever existed and that you called us your children and we're so grateful that that we could be called your children that that's exactly what we are. Lord, we want to be obedient, good children. We don't want to be grumbling, complaining. We want to live our lives uh, according to the good things you have for us. So Father, today, move in our hearts and our spirits. Help us to become obedient in a new and a fresh way. Draw us closer to you. Draw us up in discipleship. Help us to become uh, mature and complete so that we can serve others. I pray for the families in our church, Father, for those that are struggling. Lord, I ask that you give them hope and direction and help today, Father. For those that are built on, on, on foundations that aren't solid, Father, then I pray, Lord, that you would help them firm up their foundations so, Lord, that they can build a solid and a good home that would last not just for their life but for generations. Father, I pray for all of us to help us find our place, not just in the families of have given us, but in the family of Christ. Lord, take these commitments that we make draw us closer to you. Father, we ask you take these offerings that we make and you build your kingdom up for your goodness and for your glory. We pray all of this in the wonderful name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.
0: Amen. Well, as the ushers come around, would you stand with us as we sing a song of response?
5: Thank you